You're listening to the Exit Coach Radio Network. Welcome to the Business Sustainability Radio Show, where you'll not only learn how to create a sustainable business, but you'll also learn the secrets of creating extraordinary value within your business and within your life. It's all about creating great outcomes. Now, here's your host, certified financial planner, entrepreneur, and writer, reader, and thinker, Josh Patrick. Well, our next guest has not arrived yet, and I apologize for that. I was looking really, really looking forward to having a conversation with John because he actually is talking about a really interesting topic, which is what he calls hire your next buyer, or what we call in our world the internal transition or how we do there. And then frankly, I see that he has just joined us, so I'm going to bring him online right now. Uh, here is John Mills. Hello, John. How are yep. you today? Good, Josh. How are you? Good. I'm glad that you you could join us. I really appreciate it. So, yeah, well, thank you for inviting me. Um, you've just written a really interesting new book called Hire Your Buyer, A Philosophy of Value Creation. What do you mean by hire your buyer? Well, in I work primarily in the uh, small business market, uh, even micro business market. So I'm not uh, at the level of the M&A advisor where they would be working at uh, $5 million plus enterprise value transactions. I'm, I'm, I'm under that and many times substantially. But in, in the small business market, uh, we find that no, but there's no reliable statistics. But it may be that as many as 90% of those businesses uh, will not be able to sell for an amount that will satisfy the owner's income requirements in retirement and, and create a legacy for them. So they have to look at some other options. And so that's why I talk about value creation. And the other option, which seems to be, in my mind, uh, really overlooked, and I think it's because the business brokers cannot figure out how to generate a commission off it. But the other option, I think, that works well in many cases, if you have a good solid business, is to look at your workforce or even look externally and bring somebody in and create a position of buyer, somebody is specifically going to take over the business. That's their reason, their mission, and their mandate. They may have been an employee yesterday, but now they're training to be the person that's going to take over the business. And through tax and legal planning, we can structure a very nice transaction where over a number of years, the owner can get paid out by that person. So what kind of training do you think that uh, a business owner needs to provide for their next buyer? If it's going to be somebody who works for them, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a very insightful question. Um, so you know, obviously, it's as situational as there are numbers of businesses. Uh, it depends on what the person, the employee, already knows. But the idea is that the person who is currently an employee and fulfilling a job function is now going to have to step up and become a leader. So they're going to have to learn to be a leader, and, and in many of the, I guess, ironically, uh, the, some of the training is the same sort of training that we're working with the owner in order to get the owner to delegate, in order to get the owner to be able to remove himself from the business. Uh, a lot of that kind of training and developing process in the business and making sure that, you know, there's documentation and making sure that there's job descriptions, you know, that building a business within the business um, that's the type of training that the, the 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 buyer needs to know. You know, essentially, you know, what are the key drivers of value in the business, and how does the business function and work, and how can they make it work? 
What if the owner themselves really isn't very clear on a how to do the systemizing of the business and and actually doesn't even really understand what the key drivers of value are? How would you handle that? Well, that's 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 fairly common. I mean, in many cases, because the owner is in a lifestyle business, they've they've just done everything instinctively and intuitively. But when you go to sit down and develop the business processes and develop the job descriptions and those things, that's some of that work is is really cut and paste, you know, fill in the numbers, fill in the blanks type of. It, it's not very. Um, brilliant work, if you will. It's it's more uh, uh, clerical in, in terms of getting everything done. And there's a number of types of consultants that don't charge tremendous amount of money that can, that can help you put the documentation together. The key drivers of value, though, is a little bit different. That's a little more sophisticated, and you have to understand. But in my, in my business, uh, when I'm working, generally, there's only one line of business. So I'm not working with very complicated multi-line businesses that that you know interact and interplay so in a lot of the smaller businesses it's a plumbing outfit or it's a construction company and and so it's fairly easy to determine that if we send plumbers out on the road they bill certain dollars per hour and we you know it's a fairly easy analysis from that perspective cool so what do you think the central problem is in business succession planning? Currently, the way that I see it, as I view it, even though succession planning has been with us since the dawn of business, I see it now as, as really as an emerging profession. And, and I analogize it to where maybe business valuation was 40 years ago, at least in Canada, and I'm not sure in the United States. It may be usually the United States is ahead on uh, on these types of business issues. But 40 years ago in Canada, there was no institute of business valuators. There was no standards of how an evaluator would qualify in court. There was no clarity or agreement as to what a valuation exercise should look at or how it was done. Um, and, and so I see the central problem is that succession planning is very much in the same state. And I, I refer to succession planning as an emerging industry. And nobody's really sure exactly what it is. Uh, around the periphery, I call it the periphery, around the periphery in a circle or around the, the halo of the sun, if you can imagine, is, is a number of the transactions. So we have the tax transaction, we have the shareholders agreement, we have the insurance policy, we have the valuation. And all of those transactions, those are all necessary, but none of those in and of themselves is actually succession planning. So in the core of what ties all of those transactions together, that's what succession planning is. And there isn't a broad consensus as to what that means. But we knew, we know for sure that succession planning is clearly more than simply a, a marketing buzzword used by banks to sell financial products. And we know that there's more options than simply selling your business externally, right? And so a friend of mine expressed very well. He's been actually doing this with farmers for 30 years, and he said what he looks for in an assignment are two things. One is harmony, and the other is profitability. And I've never heard it expressed more simply or, or elegantly than that. So harmony refers to the emotional intelligence piece of the group of people that are involved, and profitability, of course, goes to the key drivers. And if you have harmony and you have profitability, 
now we really have something to work with. And all of those expenses, all the transactions, the tax planning, the legal, and all of those things are investments that are solidifying our value creation machine rather than expenses that are eroding a diminishing asset base. So a lot of businesses I look at, especially smaller businesses, profitability is a challenge. In fact, it's such a challenge that it becomes difficult for a manager to come in and buy the business from a departing owner. How do you help a business owner come to terms with that? Well, that, that's a really good question. So I have a, I have a couple of answers on that. And, and one of them is if you have a business like a metal bending shop or something like that, that's in a, and essentially in a profitless industry or where in, in Windsor, where they're coming in and the uh, large auto companies are, are actually literally auditing their suppliers' books in order to determine their profit margin specifically for the purpose of grinding down their costs, right? I mean, that's a pretty pernicious situation to find yourself in. But the interesting thing about those businesses, even though they're flatlined in terms of profitability, is that they're not going to be taken away by the Internet, right? You're still going to need to bend metal. There's going to be a supplier, and the supplier is not going to bankrupt you because they need a source of supply, right? They're just trying to grind you down. So what you can do there is this employee engagement piece. And if you can do the employee engagement piece, and what's quite interesting, and a great example of the employee engagement piece, that means where everybody is is gung-ho, working on the team, there was a a great company in Quebec called Tembec, T-E-M-B-E-C. And it was, again, a pulp and paper uh, company in a small town in Quebec and 300 jobs, and it was going to close down, which meant the whole town was going to close down. So they got together and they said, no, we're going to do this. Everybody took voluntary wage cut, and they worked together, and they, over a couple of quite successful, and and within about 15 years, they were doing, gone from 300 to about 12,000 employees. And the, the CEO... Who, who was there uh, of Tembeck said that based on the employee engagement, he knew that he could go into any bidding competition and he had a 17% cost advantage, a 17% margin that did not exist in any of the other companies. And so even though the industry as a whole was profitable by virtue of the employees working together in an engaged way, in an intelligent way, they were able to generate a profit margin with an extra 17% of savings. Interesting. So what kind of things did they do to help with employee engagement? Well, employee engagement generally comes from there's, there's three critical driving factors. And we know for sure that simply uh, incentives, incentives can be a bad thing, right? The, so simply walking into a company and doubling their wages, everybody's wages tomorrow, does nothing for profitability. All it does is generates a sense of entitlement. And when you try to take it back or you don't pay the incentive this year, in many companies there's been reported stories where they were not able to pay the bonus. And because the employees did not understand the financial picture, they assumed that somebody was essentially stealing their money and they felt very upset. So by themselves, in isolation, these things, none of these things work and they have to work together. So that First step is financial education. Financial education is also referred to as open book management, 
I don't really particularly like open book management because it's not as descriptive of what you actually need to do. I think what you need to do is financial education about the drivers of the business and why the person is there. And so that person has a good understanding of their impact on the company. That's step number one. Step number two, I think they do have to be incentivized, but the incentive has to be rational and the incentive has to be tied to the key drivers of profit and the, and the person's uh, uh, um, you know, productivity and, and production. And that could be a team or a department or an individual, depending on the situation. And then the last thing is the employee equity piece. And I know in the United States, you have a very large, uh, what's called ESOPs or Employee Share Ownership Program. We, have, we don't have the same types of legal structure in Canada. You, you have ERISA and, and, and some interesting rules that we don't have, but we can, in Canada, we can get, get to the same end result just using different tools. But if you look at the ESOP structure, and uh, Bo Burlington just wrote a book uh, in the last couple of weeks called uh, Finish, Finish Big, and it's a great book, but throughout, littered throughout that book, of these stories of these great businesses is, is and he's a, a writer from Mink Magazine, is, 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 you know, the term open book and, 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 and ESOP and engagement. So to, to wrap this up, the three things, when you financially educate, and you have to treat people well. I mean, that's, that, that I haven't said that. That's very important. Trust is a very important factor. You have to be trustworthy and you have to understand. And, it, and really that just comes down to simple common decency. It's no, there's no rocket science there. I mean, just don't yell and scream at people. I mean, that's, it's a pretty simple formula. Treat them decently, right? The way that you would want to be treated. And educate them financially so they understand what's going on in the business and uh, cut them in for a share of the profit. And if you do that, over time, that has shown that, that that can produce very good results. So when you go into an engagement with somebody, what is it that you actually do? So how do you approach a, a succession engagement? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to get evaluation of the company. And that that establishes a benchmark of, of where we're at and where we're where we want to go because we need a yardstick so that we can show some demonstrable results then i look at what's i try to determine with the business owner what's what's the value gap and so what the value gap i'm referring to there is a a, a term i picked up from john leonetti but the the value gap is looking at the owner's net worth outside of the business plus the transferable value of their business and measuring that against the cost of retirement. There's all kinds of retirement calculators out there on the internet, so it's fairly, fairly easy to you know, forecast what 30 years of retirement is going to cost based on if you're spending 40000 a year or 100000 a year. And then you look at what you actually have and what you can get from your business. And if we have a value gap, if there's no value gap, and they can sell and satisfy what they want, then what I tell them is, listen, you need a broker, not a book or, you know, not an assignment. If you can sell and get what you want, then by all means do that. But if you can't, then here's another avenue and working with your employees. So now once we have our valuation, once we know our value gap, then we have to start looking at what are the key drivers and reviewing that and who's the team and how do we supplement the team and start 
building forecasts of where we think we can get to. Can we expand? Is there another line of business that we can do? If we're doing air conditioning, can we start to do something else? You know, can we use our skills and, and build up the business? And it's not building. Here, here's a, a key and critical difference. I, unlike a lot of books you would read where you want to go and, and make a bazillion dollars like Facebook or something like that, in my business, I'm only my only goal is to increase the value of the business enough to satisfy the value gap and the interests of the participants so that they're and once we've done that, my job is done. I'm I'm basically I'm not saying to stop, you can keep going if you want, but I'm only satisfying the lifestyle requirements, only increasing the value enough to keep everybody happy and, and meet that value gap. So who are the players that should be on this team? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, you know, usually what I do is, is I act as a, I, I don't know if the term is facilitator or quarterback or, or what you want to say, but I work with the client's existing advisors. So if they already have an accountant and a lawyer, then as much of the work that can be done in the assignment I have, you know, as much as the work the accountant wants to do. If they're, if they feel that they understand the tax, they can do the tax planning. If they don't feel they understand tax, they can do the accounting, and we'll arrange it. So it, it, it kind of is fluid. Um, obviously, you need the accountant, the lawyer involved. You need somebody to do the valuation, and you need somebody that understands the process of succession. And as I said earlier, succession is an emerging profession. So that is. I refer to myself as a succession professional, but that in the context of that emerging profession, that's what my role is, is to make sure that all of the players are there. Cool. What do you think keeps people from doing this? And we have about a minute to answer this question. Okay, so uh, just just blow the whistle when I go over over the line. So to to me, it seems very, very obvious. What keeps people from doing this is the fact that nobody is sitting down and explaining to them a solution that they can go, I get that. That makes sense. Most of the people that claim to understand succession planning, again, are using it for marketing purposes. And really, when you unbundle it, well, what do you mean by succession planning? Well, succession planning really is this really large insurance policy you should be buying, or it's this tax plan you should be buying. And when they get those kinds of answers, it just doesn't resonate. They, they, they don't know why it's not right because they don't have enough background, but they know it's just not going to solve the problem they have. So they just, there is no other option. So they procrastinate. Cool. So, John, if somebody wants to work with you, how would they find you? Uh, well, I'm in southwestern Ontario. I'm a, a Canadian. They can uh, uh, go and find my book, which is at uh, www. I guess as they all are, hireyourbuyer.com, or they can phone me at 519-973-1223. Super. I really appreciate you spending some time with us today, and your information is really good. And if you're thinking about selling your business and having a hard time doing so, you really should think about hiring your buyer. It's an awfully satisfying way of going. Thanks, John. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. You're listening to one of many shows on ExitCoachRadio.com. 
We're interviewing advisors, authors, and thought leaders for their best tips, ideas, and precautions so you can be well-planned. If you'd like to be a guest on any of our shows, go to guest.exitcoachradio.com. Exitcoachradio.com. Come listen for a minute. 